Well, good morning, Hope Midtown. It is good to see you all here. Uh, my name's Kathy. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I hope I'll get to meet you after service today at Intro to Hope. Well, um, I told the first service, it's so ironic to me. Every time I'm about to preach, usually the day before or the week before, something happens to sort of like gird my, uh, my, my message and what I'm going to be talking about. And so today we are starting a series on suffering. I know, don't get too excited. I know everyone's really excited about this, right? So for four weeks, we're going to talk about suffering. And I beg you to stay with it because we're going to get some nuggets out of this. But I had to really laugh last night as I was crying on my apartment hallway floor after I had tripped over a vacuum cleaner in the dark and splat out. Um, I have a huge shiner on my knee and I was laying there on the floor. My husband's getting ice for me and I'm just like, you know, God, okay, really? Did we have to have a suffering example like right before the, you know? So there we are. Uh, I'll share another suffering story with you, but that was my one from last night uh, to sort of prep us for this, this series. And I know for some of you, this may not be a super fun topic. Maybe it's right up there with uh, generosity and giving, but hopefully you're going to get something out of this. And um, as Christians, what I love is that we are fortunate enough to have examples in the Bible of men and women from the Old Testament, Christ followers in the New Testament, who have gone through suffering and from whom we can learn. And so the next few weeks, uh, starting today, we're going to look at Job. Then next week, we're going to look at Hannah and the Apostle Paul and then Hagar and how they dealt with suffering and what we can learn from their example. So as we explore this chapter of Job, which Karin just read the first part of it for us, the first reality that we have to wrestle with and accept is that suffering happens to good people. Suffering happens to good people. And I wish that we're not true. I don't like saying that. I don't like thinking about it. I don't like the fact that it's true, but it is reality. I will look at this example from Job. I want to reread verses one through three. So we, we look at who we're dealing with here in the person of Job. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, large number of servants. And it says he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, somehow it seems easier for me to accept that suffering happens to bad people, right? Suffering happens when we do something wrong. If we do something we know we shouldn't have done, like maybe speed a little bit on West 57th Street and a camera catches us and we get a speeding ticket. I'm speaking from personal experience uh, last month, but right, like I knew I was gonna have to suffer the consequences of suffering, whether that's, you know, with the fine or, um, you know, whatever else. But we don't question that, do we? We sort of, we sort of accept that. We don't question it. We, we know if somebody's out there doing something they shouldn't do, they're going to suffer for that eventually. But what's much harder to grasp is this idea that even good people suffer. People who are blameless, seeking to do everything right, upright, 
I love what um, one of the examples is that Job gives. I'm going to recap this again for us. So this is one of the ways that Job was so upright. He had this thing that he used to do in his routine. So in verse 4, it says his son used to hold feasts, and they would invite their three sisters, and they would drink with them, and they had all this feasting, and Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, that's 10, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And look at this. It says, this was Job's regular custom. One of his regular routines was to cover his children with these burnt sacrifices for anything they might have done wrong, whether, the, whether it's something he knew about or whether it's something he didn't know about. You see, in the Old Testament days before Christ came to be the ultimate burnt sacrifice for us, men and women, parents would, would offer burnt offerings as a sacrifice to God as like a penance. And Job loved God and he loved his children so much that he would do this regularly on their behalf. Can you imagine if your parents like had to go and make a burnt offering every time you did something wrong, every time you stayed out too late at that party or got yourself in trouble, your parents would go and make this burnt offering. Well, thankfully, we don't have to do that anymore. We have Jesus who is that ultimate sacrifice, who we can go to to confess when we mess up, when we do stuff wrong and and receive that forgiveness directly. We don't have to take a burnt livestock offering. But what an amazing love that this demonstrates that Job had for his children. So even as a parent, like I just think like the way he would cover them is so beautiful. And this was pleasing to God. So the question is, if if Job is so full of goodness, if you and I, you know, have enough goodness in us, you know, we we strive to do things right and, and be upright and blameless, like the question is, why can't we just stop the story there, right? I wish we could just stop the story there, but as we're gonna see over these next few weeks, as we explore the suffering together, we're gonna see that sometimes there are very important reasons that we experience and go through suffering and loss. And we're gonna see this for our our friends in the Bible that we're looking at over the next couple weeks too. But we don't always know what they are. And we, we can't often see them in the moment. And that's also another rough reality that we have to deal with is that we may not understand some of the reasons of why we go through suffering, why we go through loss on this side of eternity. But there is hope. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But first, got to pick up the story of what happens to Job. And it's not pretty. So we're going to pick it up in in verse 13. There are four things that happen to Job. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing, the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So the first thing that happens is this group of people called the Sabians, they take off with all of Job's oxen and donkeys and kill his servants. Then, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So first he loses his, you know, his his oxen and donkeys, and now he loses all of his sheep and servants. 
from this fire that falls from the sky. Then, when he was still speaking, another messenger came, and the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on the camels and took off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So now we have this group called the Chaldeans. They've raided and took off on, with all of his camels, all the servants. And then, just when you think it can't get any worse... Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So lastly, a wind has swept in and collapsed the house of the oldest brother of Job and killed all of his sons and daughters in an instant. Unimaginable loss. Unimaginable. I mean, losing all of Job's livestock back in this time in the Old Testament, his livestock would have been where his money comes from, where his food comes from, where his resources to provide for his family comes from, wiped out. But then, to lose his family, with the exception of his wife. And friends, I don't know if you've ever lost someone that you love and have suffered from that. You know the type of pain and suffering that we go through when we lose a person that we love. But imagine that times 10. 10. So we've seen in this passage so far that Job is a good person. But suffering happens to good people. This is inevitable. But I want us to now shift our focus to see what can we learn from Job in the way that he handles his suffering. What does Job do when he hears this horribly painful news? What would you do if you heard all this type of really painful news of loss? Now we know from the passage Karin read earlier that we know that Satan is actually the one who is out provoking Job. And I didn't mention this in the first service, but I want to mention it because it struck me, Karin, when you were reading this again. There's a verse in that passage where God says, are you considering my servant Job? And I want you to know that as I dug some deeper study into that, Job is not saying it in this way, or God is not saying it in this way to Satan, hey, have you considered my, you know, have you considered, you know, make some stuff happen to him? That is not what God is saying. God is legitimately asking Satan a question. Is it my servant Job you have your eye on? That is how he's asking that question, which is very different. You see, he loves Job, but he knows that Satan is going to provoke him to curse him. Because Satan says to God, you know, hey, sure, you know, if, if uh, everything's cool, you know, your servant Job, of course he's going to be okay. Of course he's not going to curse you. But God, what happens when I take all these things away from Job? And Satan believes he's going to curse him. He believes this. So we know that some of this provoking is going on. He was provoking Job to curse God. And friends, maybe in your suffering, 
you as well have been tempted to curse God, to blame God. And I'll be honest, I have, I have been there. I have been tempted to that. And I think sometimes it's hard not to be tempted in that way, right? When we don't know why we're experiencing loss and suffering. If you were here back in May, um, the last time I preached, you might remember I preached a lot about some of the losses that I had been experiencing and the anger that I had towards God and how I needed to get in touch with that anger. And I just want to affirm to you again, you know, our honesty towards God and our suffering, if there is anger there, we need to be able to, to say it. He's big enough to handle it. But we're not to sin in it. And I, I know, you know, as we look at this, as I'm getting ready to point out these three things, it's much easier said than done. And I want to acknowledge that right off the bat. But I hope this is going to be an encouragement to us. So look at Job's response. Verse 20, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. There are three distinctive things that we see Job do here. And the first is to lament. When he tears his robe, when he shaves his head, this is Job's expression of lament. And notice, I want you to notice here, when does that verse come? Does it come after he's lost his oxen? No. Does it come after the camels have been taken off with? No, it is after he is told of the loss of his children that he tears his robe and shaves his head. And friends, we have got to make room for lament. And we don't talk about it a lot at church, right? Because we have hope, and we do have hope, and I'm getting to the hope, bear with me. But we have to make space to grieve and lament God gave us tears. Have you ever thought about that? God gave you tears to lament. And so in Job's devastating loss, I have to be honest, I've never quite experienced as I thought about this, that type of devastating loss. Um, so I can only relate to Job a, a little, um, but I want to acknowledge too that there may be some of you here who have dealt, who have experienced with unimaginable loss. And I want you to know that we grieve with you and give yourself that space to grieve. There's no time limit on it. So he grieves. Now the closest that I have ever come to as a parent to that type of lament, that type of loss, was in 2018. I'm a mom. In 2017, my husband and my son Thomas and I moved back to the city after being away uh, down south for about 10 years, and God brought us back uh, so I could do ministry. And in 2018, I got that call that no parent ever wants to get. And it was at 11 o'clock, 11.15, on a Monday morning in April in 2018, and it was a call from the school that there had been an accident and that my son had been crushed by a piano 
that had fallen on top of him. And I know you're probably sitting there thinking, like, as I was thinking that day, as I was delivered this news on the phone, like, how did that happen? And if you want to know more, I'll tell you, you can come find me after service. But suffice to say, a 500-pound piano crushed him. And the next words were, I think you need to get here soon. Um, we think he's going to be okay, but we don't. We don't know. And so I found out they were rushing him to call me a Presbyterian, and I raced over there. I called my husband and told him to meet me over there. And um, I walked into the pediatric emergency room. Praise God, they have an emergency room for pediatrics. He was only 12 at the time, and he was very small. And he was in a brace, and his shirt was all the things, and they raced him into a room, and... Fifteen doctors descended on the room, told us to, to wait outside, and they had to rule stuff out. They had to rule out paralysis. They had to rule out a punctured lung. They had to rule out broken ribs. They had to rule out internal bleeding. Eight hours later, three CAT scans and two MRIs revealed that he had four fractured vertebrae in his lower spine. And so we lamented, and we wept, and we prayed. And our main prayer was, God, please let him not have to have surgery. That was our main prayer. And I want to tell you, friends, it was a miracle. He was not paralyzed. It was just the vertebrae. If I can say that, just the vertebrae. Um, but it could have been so much worse. It could have, we could have lost him. He could have been dead, paralyzed, um, a number of other things. But there was a lot of lament. There was a lot of lament for his physical health. There was a lot of lament for his mental health, the PTSD that he experienced for several years after. There was a lot of lament that this happened his first year of school in a new school in a new city. And he couldn't do gym, he couldn't do sports, he had to wear a back brace for six months, which again was a miracle in and of itself. But I want to encourage you as I'm doing right now, as I'm reliving this, I'm lamenting, and lament is important. We need to allow ourselves to do it. And I know last time I preached, I preached a little on the Psalms and about how my food, how my, my tears were my food, how David talks about how our tears are food, and I know that some of you may have experienced that in your life, the type of suffering where your tears are your food, and know that you are not alone in that. And I believed during that time, as I believed every time I've been through great suffering and loss, that God has been with me. And I believe that God was with Job in this very season and circumstance. And I believe that Job experienced the comfort of God in this moment. So we have to lament. But secondly, and I find this to be one of the most incredible responses that, that Job has is it says, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job does not curse God. He worships and he praises him. We sang a song here this morning called Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. 
You give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what Job did. And this is what we are encouraged to do. If you were here last week and you heard um, Daryl's sermon, you may remember one of the things that he talked about was what worship is. You see, worship is an act of spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. When we worship, when we praise God in the midst of loss and suffering and grief and tears, we are warring against an enemy who wants us to turn our back on God. That is what Satan believed was going to happen in this story with Job. But he didn't. He didn't turn us back on God. He worshiped. And he recognized that God is the giver and the taker away of all things. And friends, I want to encourage you when you are in the midst of suffering, not to give in to the enemy and turn your back on God because I promise you, he is not turning his back on you. The Bible says that he is close to the broken hearted. He is with you. He is there in the suffering when bad things happen and he doesn't turn his back on us. That is a hope and a promise. And in fact, sometimes I was thinking about this, you know, in my um, deepest, darkest times of suffering and loss. There is nothing anybody can say to me. Maybe you have encouraging friends or maybe a spouse or a family member who is trying to encourage you. You know, sometimes there's nothing anybody can say that gives me comfort. But when I turn my face towards God, He is my comfort. And I experience a comfort like nothing else that nobody else personally can give to me. And he is the only one that I can receive that real comfort from. So lastly, what we learn from Job in this example, in the midst of his suffering, is this last thing, is not to sin in our suffering. Verse 22, in all of this, in all of it, all of the loss, all of the trial, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job did not take the bait from the enemy to curse God, to blame God, to turn his back on God. Even though all of Job's circumstances from the outside were complete loss and looked like his life was over, he did not blame God. And I know it's tempting to to try and find blame sometimes, isn't it, in our suffering? You don't have to shake your head, but I'll tell you, for me, I mean, I can tell you, and my sweet husband is sitting right there. Last night, when I was on the ground in the hallway, and my knee was like uh, blowing up like a balloon, and I was crying and laughing at the same time because I'm preaching on suffering tomorrow, and here I am with like this bum knee, and he's trying to bring me ice and all the things. You know what I said? I said, honey, if only you had not turned the light off in the hallway, I wouldn't have tripped. I wouldn't be here with this, you know. Friends, I left the vacuum cleaner in the hallway. (laughs) I left it. But how easy it was for me. And I'm sorry, honey. I, I don't know if I apologized to you for that or not. But I was angry. And I was suffering. And I wanted to blame And that was wrong. 
I remember when our son had that accident. I remember we had so many friends that were telling us, Kathy, you know, you guys should sue the school. The school should be liable. You know, they shouldn't have let the boys move the piano, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it, it, was, it was blame, blame, blame. But when we talked, we were like, how would that help anything? How would that take away this accident? How would that ease my son's suffering? How would that ease ours? And it wouldn't. It didn't. And so we didn't. And instead, what we chose to do in those moments and those months and weeks that followed was we chose to be grateful. We chose to be grateful that we still had our child, that he was not paralyzed, that he was going to be okay. And our lives might look a little different for a year, but God was walking through it with us. And I love what the Apostle Paul, you know, understood this connection between what happens when we get angry and tempted to sin and the enemy. And so I want to leave with this, this passage here from Ephesians 4, where Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. So there's this temptation. And God knows that we're going to be tempted. He knows. He knows us. He knows we're human. He knows we're going to be tempted sometimes to sin in our suffering, in our loss. But when we do that, friends, we are taking the bait from the enemy who wants us to turn away from God, even though God is right there in the suffering with us, never leaving our side and bringing us hope. And so I want to recap just these four things. If you want to write them down, you can. If not... Hopefully one of them you'll take home with you in your mind's eye. But the four things we learn from Job, the first, suffering happens to good people. Suffering happens to good people. And I wish it weren't so, but it is a reality that as Christ followers, we have to accept. And if you are here today and you have never experienced suffering, praise God. I'm so glad about that. But I'm here to tell you, you will at some point. And we have this example that, secondly, it is important and right to lament. We have to be able to grieve, friends. When we don't grieve and we bottle up our pain and our suffering and our tears, it's going to come out at a later date. And it may come out in the way of anger. And so lament. Give yourself the space and the grace to lament and to grieve your loss. Thirdly, we can still worship God. We can still worship him. I'm down on the floor last night, and I'm just like, God, I don't know what I'm talking to. I'm laughing. But I'm like, okay, I got the ice. My knee's going to be okay. I can walk. I can still preach. Um, and I can still worship. And so while we have breath in our lungs, we can still worship God, acknowledging that, yes, sometimes he takes things away. But there's going to be a purpose in it. And we may not know the side of eternity, but we can trust him. And we can still worship him. And lastly, Job teaches us not to fall into the temptation to blame or to sin in our anger and our suffering. And I know, you guys, this is so much easier to get up here and say than to, than to actually do. And so here's the hope. It is only through our relationship with Christ that we can do any of these things. 
It is only through Christ that we can do these things. And isn't it interesting? I just love this. Isn't it interesting how all the things I just mentioned, Jesus went through. Jesus went through all of them. The Bible, the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. He grieved his losses. If you know what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane where he's wrestling, God, why? Why do I have to do this? He laments. He's in touch with himself and he's honest before his father. Jesus wept. Jesus worshiped his father. He took the time and the space and worshiped God, even in the midst of suffering. He worshiped his father. And then lastly, he didn't blame him. He didn't say, well, God, you know, I, you know, I don't want this. I, you know, I, I don't need this. Like, I've been good. I mean, Jesus is perfect, right? Jesus is perfect. Talk about upright and blameless. But he didn't blame God. He didn't blame others on the cross. He said, forgive them. They do not know. So Jesus has walked this road before us. And when we have him in our lives, that is how we can lament, we can worship, and we cannot blame God, but we continue to turn our face towards him, who is the source of our comfort. And so we recognize and remember that Jesus walked before us in our suffering, and friends, he walks with us. He walks with us. He is down there in the trenches walking with you through all of it. And that is our hope. I want to invite the worship team to, to come back up as we have some time of um, reflection. And I was thinking, you know, there may be some of you here today who don't know this Jesus that I'm talking about or this Christianity thing may be new and that's okay. We're really glad that you're here to hear about this and to learn from what we can learn from for, from Job. But I want to tell you here today that you, you are here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't know God personally. I want to affirm to you that he knows you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He weeps with you when you are suffering. He is with you on the mountaintops when you are celebrating. And he wants you to know him. And again, it's through him that we have this hope that we can even think to deal with our suffering. And maybe, maybe you would be thinking today, maybe you're not here suffering particularly now, but maybe you have someone in your life right now that's suffering and you're watching them go through that suffering without hope. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. There is a God who loves you, who died for you, and who wants to be that source of strength when you have no strength, and your source of hope when all seems hopeless. So if I could, I want to invite you to stand if you're able. And as I say, every time I preach, anywhere I preach, you know, it's one thing for me to get up here and tell you and share with you like what God showed me 
through this passage, but maybe God's showing you something, and I believe he wants to show you something very particular about what we're learning from Job, or maybe even just about what you're learning about this Jesus today. So I want to give us a few moments before we leave here for you to just have a conversation with God. So I'll invite you, if you want to open your hands out in in the form of a receipt. I believe God is in the giving business. And I believe he wants us to receive something unique and personal today. And maybe you're here today and you would say, Kathy, yeah, I am going through suffering. Maybe you walked in here and you are holding great loss. And it might be something even from your past that you haven't taken the time to grieve. We want to give you the space to do that right now. We want to give you the space. This is a safe space. To say, God, I hurt. And he knows. And he wants to wrap his arms around you today. Or maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, Kathy, I I have been blaming God. I have I've turned my back on him. I hurt and I get that I've done that in seasons of my life too but maybe God is saying to you today let me back in let me back in so I can love you and I can walk you through this maybe you are here today and you are walking through suffering with a close loved one or a family member. And maybe God is pressing on you today to share this hope that we have in Jesus. That there is a Savior who is closer than a brother. So would God press that courage into you to share the hope of the Savior of the world with that one who is suffering or just to sit and let them weep. Father, I thank you that you Never leave us alone. Even when we run from you, God, you chase us down. And it's so tempting to run when we are suffering. So God, I pray for these men and women here today, Lord, who who you're wooing back to yourself. God, may they see you for the loving Father that you are. The one who sent his only son to die just for them. And Father, thank you that you left us not only with Jesus as our guide, but Lord, with the Holy Spirit in us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord, who was present here before we ever walked into this room today. 
God, would we carry more of your spirit when we leave this place today? The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a source of comfort. So Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We ask for your comfort and your healing. Father, we thank you for the message of Job. God, would you continue to stir in our hearts and show us the things from his life and how he dealt with his suffering, Lord. And we thank you for Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who is the one who walked the road of suffering well before we did and who knows what we go through intimately. Would we trust him today? Pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to respond together and worship.